We've talked about over the last few weeks, the first 10 steps of the program of Overeaters Anonymous. And we've talked about the working of the steps and we've talked about how vital it is to keep up on steps uh, because otherwise we degenerate into dieting with group support. And when we start to degenerate into dieting with group support, we find ourselves in very dangerous water. And for the first while that I was in Overeaters Anonymous, I really heard what they were saying about steps and God and this in the same way that Charlie Brown hears his teacher. Wah, 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 wah. I heard it. I thought that was wonderful for them. I thought to myself, how do people find the time? I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in a relationship with God. I'm interested in losing this damn weight. And when I lose this weight and I keep it off for about mm, 20 seconds, I'm going to hit that door so hard. I'm going to say goodbye and I will never see any of you ever again unless I happen to run into you someplace, some way. And it took me a long time to realize what this was really about. And I came into the world as a scared, angry child. And I learned at a very early age that I was fat. How did I know I was fat? Everybody told me that I was fat. And everybody from a very early age on pointed this out all the time. And I could never seem to escape this. I could never seem to get away from the fact that no matter what was going on in the world, Harlan was fat. And I was a scared, angry child. And I learned to compare and despair. And I learned at a very early age to catastrophize. And catastrophizing was something that my mother and father did very well. My mother and father were dear people, very damaged in their lives, very, very damaged. And they didn't cope well with just about anything, really. And there was never any money. My dad was an immigrant. He was not a good businessman. He was old. By the time I was born, he was 54 years old. And tomorrow, April 4th, will be the date in 1914 that he arrived in the United States and they made April 4th his birthday because I don't think they knew and I don't think they could speak too, good, too much too good Russian. I don't think they could speak Russian well, Polish well. And so they made April 4th his birthday. He was born in 1900. So he would be 121 years old if he was alive tomorrow. He'd be 100 and 21 years old. And I know that he's resting at God's right hand. I know that because he lived hell on earth. We never seemed to have enough money. We never seemed to have enough of anything, but we were lucky in that we had food and we had each other, but we were too short-sighted to really see it during our life together. I pay the price today and I've paid a very, very hefty price for the food that I ate and the mistakes that I've made. I went to Hebrew school. I went to grammar school, public grammar school, but I also went to Hebrew school after school. And I didn't really like it. I didn't want to learn Hebrew. And I just didn't, I wasn't into it really at all. God, my allergies are still 
bothering me. Sorry about that. I'm not crying. I'm just, my eyes are watering because I'm allergic to things that are so prevalent right now. So please excuse me. And the bottom line is, is that I was unhappy. And I was unhappy to the point where I wanted to die a lot more than I wanted to live. And if you could have asked me as a young child, do you think you're going to have a good life? I would have said to you at a very early age, no, no. Why would I have said that? Because no one in my environment ever said to me an encouraging word. They would always say to me, if you weren't so fat, you'd get a girlfriend. If you weren't so fat, you could fit in your desk at school and you wouldn't be so uncomfortable. If you weren't so fat, we could do this or do that. And so I lived my life with this absolute belief that because I was who I was and because I was what I was, that life was just not worth living. And I looked at myself and I wondered often, why was I born? It always seemed to me that my dad had this family that was killed long, long before I was born. They were wonderful and fabulous and excellent and great. And I was fat. And my mother was crazy. My mother loved me very much and I loved her, but she was insane. She had three distinct personalities. She could be a screaming, raving lunatic. She could be a two-year-old or she could be a pretty together person. And you never knew what you were gonna get or how long it was going to last. But whether you come here from Yale or you come here from jail, whether you come here from Park Avenue or you come here from under a park bench, in step 11, which is gonna be the subject that we're gonna talk about this morning exclusively, we are gonna be asked to improve our conscious contact with God. In 10, we continue. In 11, we improve. And in 12, we practice. We continue in 10, we improve in 11, and we practice in 12. And I don't care who you are, whether you come here from affluence, as one of my friends does, I happen to know that she comes here from great wealth, great financial power, great wealth. Her father is a internationally known person. And she, like myself, is an absolute gutter compulsive garbage can back alley compulsive overeater. So as I say, whether you come from Yale or jail, Park Avenue or a park bench, as my friend in Chicago says, nobody comes in here on a roll. We come in here injured and we come in here bruised and battered and we come in here out of desperation. What is it about the human spirit that only seeks this program of recovery when all other measures have failed. And it says in the doctor's opinion that all other measures failed. I did the pay and way and I did this and I did that. What's the difference between Overeaters Anonymous and all the other things from all these other methods of, of, of losing weight or gaining weight or wherever it, whatever direction it is you're coming from. Some of us are anorexic. Some of us pendulum between two extremes. Some of us are 
anorexic and bulimic, maybe we're regurgitation bulimics, maybe we're laxative bulimics or exercise bulimics or combinations of all those things, or we're compulsive overeaters who reach an obese state like me. We all come in here battered and bruised. And we come in here after a long time of asking God, praying to God, make us thin, give us this, give us her, give us him. Why my mother? Why my son? Why my father? Why my daughter? And we look up at starry, starry skies with tears in our eyes and ask God why. And there doesn't seem to be a good answer. There doesn't seem to be a good answer. And people put their hands on our shoulders and say, he's in a better place now, or she's in a better place now, or my favorite most loathsome thing is, well, God has his plans, doesn't he? And I would sit there stewing after my mother died or after my father died. And I'd say to myself, even though I wasn't articulating those words, I was angry. And the emotion that it articulated was, well, then that's not a God I want anything to do with. Step 11 is calling upon me to accentuate that difference that I asked you about about 30 seconds ago. What is the difference between what we're doing here in OA and what's happening at diet clubs and God knows what all around this world? What is the difference? In the pay and ways, they treat the illness by trying to restrict through willpower your intake of food. Does that work at us losing weight? You bet it does. It absolutely does work. And every one of us has lost our, maybe there's a couple of exceptions. I don't mean to make a blanket statement. I'm sorry. But I would say most of us have gone into those pay and weigh situations and we have lost weight only to not only regain it, but to slingshot beyond it and gain more weight than we had ever carried before in our lives. So obviously, praying to God doesn't do a thing for us. Obviously, losing weight in a paying way doesn't do anything for us. So based on that, I guess I'm just going to give up. And then out of desperation, I got dragged by the ear on February the 2nd, 1979, to a meeting of Overeaters Anonymous that took place in Skokie, Illinois, about 20 minutes from my home in Chicago. And it was on, it was in the Orchard Mental Health Center. I think God likes to laugh too. And I went to that meeting and it began a 42 year relationship between me and OA. What is the difference? We're treating the cause rather than the symptom in Overeaters Anonymous. Let me say that again, because it's very important. We're treating the cause rather than the symptom. The symptom is gaining weight or being anorexic or bulimic. That's a symptom that is not the, that is not the problem. Yes, our problem is lack of power. That is our dilemma. 
But what is the problem? The problem is the buildup of everyday normal human emotion. And in every day that we live, we are going to encounter people, places, things which do not stick to our script, which is why selfishness always heads the procession. It's the first character defect described in chapter five, and it is the first of the defects of character that we're going to talk about in step 10, and the first of the character defects that we're going to refer to back in or in step 11, selfishness, the script. And when that happens, fear and anger and dishonesty and guilt and shame and all these various things are going to come up. We're going to deal with the defects, selfish, dishonest, resentful, and fearful, fear. Those are the defects, the four defects that we're going to be dealing with. And when we are in a place of neutrality with them through the working of the steps. Now, this is important. Wake up for just a minute here. The urge to eat is simply not there. And as we grow in our recovery, as we mature in our recovery, as we dig deeper in our recovery, we begin to heal in areas that we didn't even know had been vandalized and ruined by this disease. I'm better in my personal relationships today. And most of all, I'm gonna say that I am better in two areas that are the most glaring to me that I never thought I would ever be able to say, I never thought I would able, be able to feel, but these are the two areas of my life which have been most improved. Now, yes, I've lost a little over 500 pounds. There's no question about that. But, and I'm glad I have, I still have bubby arms and I still have pockets of flab on me that I wish I didn't have. When I said I had to pay the price, you know, only a surgeon is gonna get rid of this. It would, it's not gonna matter. Only a, only a scalpel is gonna get rid of some of this stuff. And I have it around my side and on my back and stuff like that. Not very attractive to the ladies, I'm afraid, but I have them and only a surgeon could get rid of them. I found two areas of my life that are surprising and glorious and life-giving for me. I like myself. Yes, sometimes I don't like what I see in the mirror, but I think that's common to a lot of people. They have a name for people that don't often like their bags and sags, they're called human beings, and that's part of the human condition. And I never thought in a million years that I would ever wake up on a day and like myself to the point where I certainly want to live, somebody's unmuted, Maria, where I certainly want to live a lot more than I want to die. And the other thing that we're going to be talking about today is I have a peaceful, I have a wonderful, I have a grateful and I have a rewarding relationship with God. It may not be the God of your understanding. It may not be a God that you even agree with, but I have a loving and deep, effective relationship with a power greater than myself. Let's take a look at page 85 at the very, very bottom of the page 
where it says step 11 suggests prayer and meditation. Now, let's stop right there. When they talk about meditation, they are not necessarily talking about sitting on the floor in the cross-legged position, saying mm, or saying ah or ooh or any of that stuff. And if that's what works for you, God, please, please continue doing it. That's fine. I'm not here to disparage what works for you. I'm not here to pass judgment or comment that maybe a particular type of meditation or prayer is most effective for you. I'm just going to share what works for me. Remember when we talked about chapter four, we agnostics? I thought, oh, this is the most icky chapter for me to share on because you got to talk about God. And nothing makes more people more bristly than this discussion of God. I'm going to do the best I can. Bear with me. I'm just going to do the best I can. Okay? But meditation, when they wrote this, meant quiet time. They knew that they had to change their way of praying, and we're going to talk about that. And they prayed, but they also needed that quiet time. They needed that time in the morning. Now, if you need it in the afternoon, take it. If you need it at night, take it. If you need it at whatever time you need it, you take it. It is an as-needed prescription. But for Bill and Bob, in June, in the end part of June of 1935, they would get up and they would pray and they would eat breakfast. And Ann Smith, she'd stand at the door on Ardmore Street, 855 Ardmore Street, and she would say, have you boys taken your quiet time? I saw my bubby arm in the camera. I put it down right away. But anyway, she said, have you taken your quiet time? And the boys would sit in the living room. And I recommend some, before God closes your eyes, get to Akron, Ohio, get to Bedford Hills, New York, get to Stepping Stones, get to East Dorset, Vermont. You deserve that. Go and do it and go, go and come to the OA birthday and come to these conventions like the Vision Convention and so on. But anyway, that aside, and they would sit in the living room that you can stand in and they would sit there and they would take their quiet time. So when we're talking about meditation and prayer, just think of it like this. And this is the simplest terms I can give. Prayer is speaking to God. Meditation is listening to God. Prayer is talking to God. Now, the prayer that I knew was make me the first baseman of the Cubs, make me thin, make me rich, give me a Rolls Royce, get me a girlfriend, get me some money, gotta have some money, get me, a, get me some money. I want a girlfriend, I want money, I want this, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. Oh my God, that's not prayer. That's nagging, that's petitioning God for something that I want. And where we transcend from a person who is struggling to a person who now has had a spiritual awakening, now what we're going to do is we're going to pray in a completely different direction. And Bill, when he wrote this, 
wasn't a clergyman. He wasn't a particularly religious man. He did, he wasn't, he's the guy right behind me, he's watching me. But he wasn't a particularly religious man. Thank God he wasn't, because if he was, he would have written this in such a way that I might not have ever understood it. But he writes it in such simple terms that it's absolutely followable. Is that a word, followable? It's absolutely doable by anyone that can just read the language and follow what it says. Let's continue together. We shouldn't be shy on this matter of prayer. Better men than we, I'm at the top of 86, are using it constantly. Notice that he doesn't say using it daily. Notice that he doesn't say using it regularly. He puts the word constantly because constantly best describes the relationship that most recovered people have with their higher power. I pray constantly. Some of you on vision make me scream into a pillow when I get home from my walk. Some of you don't. It's, just, it's my issue, not yours. And I know I'm not gonna name names, but some of you make me scream into a pillow. But that's my issue, not yours. Some issue, some not issue, some things I see on the news, some things I see in my life, they make me scream into a pillow too. That's part of me being a human being. That's part of what I have as a group of shortcomings called defects of character. My defects of character make me sometimes want to scream. And so I have to use prayer constantly. And the prayer that I use most constantly is the 10-step prayer. If you figured anything about me out by now, it's that I try to live in 10, 11, and 12. And in the 10-step prayer, the prayer simply goes, how can I best serve thee? Thy will not mine be done. Notice there's nothing in that prayer that says, God, get me a girlfriend. God, I want to be the first baseman of the Cubs. God, I want a million dollars and I want a Rolls Royce. There's nothing in there about that. That's not part of it. How can I best serve thee? Because in the book on page 63, it tells me that if I do God's work well, I'll be taken care of. I'll be okay. I may not get what I want, but I'll want what I have. I may not get what I want, but I'll want what I have. And some things, they break my heart because some things are harder for me to digest than others. I bet you're in the same boat. I bet you see things and experience things all the time that are more difficult for you to swallow than other things. That's part of being a human being. So when we see this word constantly, we see this word constantly, it's very, very important. Notice that the words are things we're gonna point out because these are the things that point us to the real recovery that we so desperately want constantly. Now here's a promise. It works if we have the proper attitude. What's that proper attitude? That proper attitude is not 
Give me what I want, God, quid pro quo. What's quid pro quo? It's a legal term. And quid pro quo actually is a form of sexual harassment. It's, it, it's the most serious, but quid pro quo means you do this and I'll do that. And that's the relationship I had with God for a very long time in my life, boys and girls. You give me this God and I'll do that. You know, the old lottery prayer, the most, you know, the most used lottery prayer, God, let me win the lotto. Let me win Powerball and I'll take care of the synagogue and I'll help the poor and I'll give money to cancer and I'll give money to this person and I'll give money to that person and I'll do this and I'll do that. Just let me win the lottery. That's not going to work. Believe me, I've tried it. Don't tell anyone, but I've tried it. It doesn't, that's not prayer. That's quid pro quo, guys. So let's keep going with that attitude. And the attitude comes from page 63, 62. The attitude is God is the principal. I am the agent. He is the father. I am his child. He is the director. I'm the actor. It comes from page 62 and gets reinforced all through the book, but it's first introduced on page 62 at the bottom of the page. Very important stuff. That's the proper attitude that I'm in this world to play the role he assigns, page 77. I won't go through everything because we'll be here all night if I do, and I know we have limited time. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just going to talk about page 77 for just a minute here because we're after page 77 here. We're on page 86. It says it works if we have the proper attitude. What's that attitude? My real purpose is to fit myself to be of maximum service to God and the people about me. That's the attitude. That's pure Oxford group, guys. We're going to be mostly... In, we're going to be immersed in Oxford group this morning. Step 11 is pure Oxford group. We're not going to be concerned about the common sense of drinking. We're not going to be concerned about the Sermon on the Mount much. We're not going to be concerned about the Book of James. We're going to be concerned mostly about the teachings of the Oxford group movement, which were people practicing first century Christianity to the best of their ability and work at it. See, he doesn't just say we need a good attitude and work at it. So constantly we're being reminded that this is not a program for people who need it. It is not a program for people who want it. It's a program for people who do it. Let's continue. It would be easy to be vague about this matter, yet we believe we can make some definite and valuable suggestions. Now, the most obvious question in step 11 that comes to me almost every day of my life. I, I, would be, I would be shocked if I went five days in a row and somebody didn't call me, text me, or message me about this question. Why is the nighttime section before the daytime section? The reason is it is assumed by Bill that you have been doing step 10 throughout the day. So let's take a look at when we retire at night, we constructively review our day. Stop right there. You see, I know a lot of you. There's 158 of you here today. I don't know all of you, but I know a lot of you. 
And I know, I, I'm not gonna tell anybody specific names. I know some of you can be very hard on yourself. How do I know that? Because that's me. A hammer to your head is not one of the tools of recovery. Let me say that again. A hammer to your head is not one of the tools of recovery. So when it says constructively review our day, let's do it constructively and let's not take a hammer to our own head. We constructively review our day. We, were we resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? What step did we use for resentment, selfishness, dishonesty, or fear? I said selfishness was first, it's resentfulness. Sorry, I was confusing the thing on 10. Were we resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? That's step four. Do we owe an apology? Step 10, steps eight, nine, 10. Have we kept something to ourselves which should be discussed with another person at once? Step five. Were we kind and loving toward all? Step 10, love and tolerance of others is our code. What could we have done better? Stop right there. Again, please remind yourself when it says, what could we have done better? Leave yourself sledgehammer, the one you use on yourself, in the toolbox. We don't need it today. We'll let you know if you need it. It's not gonna be today. What could we have done better? Now, what could we have done better can either make you or break you. Don't be hard on yourself unnecessarily. Be critical with love. Critical with love and tolerance. You know what says love and tolerance of others is our code? Love and tolerance of yourself sometimes is okay too. I'm not excusing you to go out and eat hostess Twinkies. I'm not saying go out and eat, you know, McDonald's or whatever it is you eat. I'm not saying that. Don't, don't use that as an excuse. But within reason, we have to be a little more loving and tolerant of ourselves. Show, my, show yourself the same love and tolerance that you'd show someone else. I was married for 17 and a half years. And the woman I was married to listened to me rail on myself, how much I made a mistake and how much I screwed up and how much I this. And she turned to me on a very dark night. We were living in Oregon at the time, raining, my God, cats and dogs, it was raining. And she turned to me, this is before my daughter was even born. My daughter wasn't even born yet. And she said to me, Harlan, if you talk to your friends the way you talk to yourself, would you have any? And wow, holy mackerel. If I spoke to you the way I speak to myself, you'd run away from me as fast and as far as you could. So take it easy on yourself. Were we thinking of ourselves most of the time? Or were we thinking of what we could do for others, page 62, of what we could pack into the stream of life all over the book? But we must be careful not to drift into worry, remorse, or morbid reflection, for that would diminish our usefulness to others. When I am faced with worry, remorse, or morbid reflection, that is the precursor to, could you put extra cheese on that? 
could I get a large order of fries and maybe another cheeseburger with that? That means it's time for me to reach out. That means it's time for me to take action. That means it's time for me to get out of myself. And that means action. Action, action, action. This is the precursor. And all of my life, I have been told by people, suck it up, buttercup. Stop your whining, Nancy. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You can do this. If you just had some discipline, you'd be fine. Well, if you just had some willpower, you'd be fine. If you just this or you just that. No, I need God's help. Without help, it is too much for us. Remember that we deal with alcohol, cunning, baffling, powerful. Without help, it is too much for us. Remember that I deal with worry, remorse, or morbid reflection. Without help, it is too much for us. And what is my solution to those problems? Food. Remember always that food was not the problem. Food was the solution to the problem. I'm not crying. My allergies are just screaming. And right behind my eyes and right behind my nose, my head just wants to explode because everything is in bloom here. And it's just, my God, it's, oh, I'm not crying. <sighs> Sorry. Okay. After making our review, we asked God's forgiveness and inquire what corrective measures should be taken. So what we're going to do here is we're going to ask God, what should I do better? How could I be better? And be quiet, wait for an answer. And how do you wait for an answer? You have to be quiet. You can't be yelling about what you want and who you're mad at. Give that stuff a rest for five minutes, for God's sakes. God gets it. She's a witch. God gets it. He's a jerk. God gets it. They suck. You've told them that 83,000 times over the last day and a half. He gets it. For five minutes, could you just put that stuff away? For five minutes, can you just put that stuff away and just listen to what God would tell you you need to do to do things better? You've come this far. Don't turn back now. Don't quit five minutes before the miracle. Don't do it. Don't do it. If you follow football, it would be like you running back a kickoff from your end zone to the one yard line of the opposing team. And at the one yard line, you throw the ball up and you fumble. You fumble the ball. Why didn't you just run the other yard into the damn end zone? What the heck's the matter with you? On awakening, here's your daytime section. On awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day. The reason he uses that word consider is because it's very vital to my survival that I be flexible. I consider what I want for the day. I consider it. I'm not writing anything in stone. 
I'm not writing anything on the wall. I'm not, I'm just gonna be flexible. So it's vital that I look at that word consider. Notice it doesn't say I review my plans for the day. I broadcast my plans for the day. I consider them. Very big difference between considering and stating. Okay. We have to be flexible. We don't know what five seconds from now is going to bring, let alone five minutes, let alone an hour. Life one year ago today, excuse me, 13 months ago today, let me see a show of hands. How many of you ever heard of Corona? To you, it was a beer. It was a Mexican beer, Corona. That's what it was. Now, my God, it's a whole, I mean, who doesn't know what it is now, right? That's how life has changed. 13 months ago today, I was doing this at the coffee plantation, five minutes from my house. And I was on the phone with one of my friends in Colorado and a couple of my other friends back in Chicago or, or, or Geneva, Illinois. And I was on the phone with a few people and there were a few people that came and that was it. There's 159 of us on the Zoom call right now. Before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking, direct my thinking, especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest or self-seeking motives. In other words, this is not prayer, God. I want, it, I want you to give me some money. I want to make a big sale today. I want to do this. I want to do that. Me, 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 me. That's not going to cut it. That's not recovery. So what I need to do is be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. And how do I do that? By considering the opposite. What can I do for others, but with no expectation of a result? Once once I start, excuse me, once I start attaching a result to that, once I start attaching a result, I'm going to be nice to Fred. So Fred is now going to give me his whatever, his bicycle to ride or whatever the heck it is. No, I have to be divorced also from results. Under these conditions, we can employ our mental faculties with assurance, for after all, God gave us brains to use. Our thought life will be placed on a much higher plane when our thinking is cleared of wrong motives. And every day of my life, I would get up in the morning and I would ask myself, how am I going to get what I want? How am I going to manipulate the world and the people around me so that I can have what I want? Today, I wake up in the morning and I'm very grateful to God. And the first step that I do every morning is 11. And the first thing I do is upon awakening. That's the first thing that I consider is upon awakening. And I pray it. And I read it. And I hear it. And I try to do it. The first step that I do every morning is step 11. In thinking about our day, we may face indecision. Why would we face indecision? Because we're human beings. Because we're human beings. We may not be able to determine which course to take. 
Here we ask God for inspiration, an intuitive thought or a decision. So if we're asking God for inspiration, an intuitive thought or a decision, we're going to be much, much better off than if we try to figure everything out ourselves. And the, the, the temptation is to try to figure everything else on my own by myself, because that's what I was taught made a man. That's what I was taught made the woman. That's what I was taught made one an adult, is this ability to figure things out for myself. That is not what I want to do. I want to listen to God. We relax and take it easy. That's not a commentary. That's an instruction. Relax and take it easy. Relax and take it easy. Shh. Hope I don't step on anyone's toes here. But I'm going to quote another source of good information. Be still, for I am God. Not Harlan, I'm not God. Be still, for I am God. I got your back. God's got your back. Top of page 63, third step promises. He's got your back. He's going to provide for you as long as you do his work well. And if you do his work well, boys and girls, you're going to be taken care of. Yes, you have to do your work. You have to render unto God what is God's. You must render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. But you will be taken care of. That's not Harlan's promise. That's God's promise. That's God telling you all through this book, you do my work well and I will not let you starve. I will not let you live in a gutter. We relax and take it easy. We don't struggle. How do you tell the difference between my will and God's will? When I'm doing my will, I'm walking upstream against the current with maximum amounts of resistance. When I'm doing God's will, I'm going downstream and I have minimal resistance. Yes, when I'm doing God's will, sometimes things can get a little difficult. As soon, as soon as I put my ego in there, that's when it happens. Or when I'm doing my will, sometimes things can go well. But on the whole, God's will is much easier. It's just doors open up, doors open up. Things happen, help comes. Things start going downhill rather than walking uphill. We are often surprised how the right answers come after we have tried this for a while. Top of 87, what's going to happen? Because we're not perfect. We're not perfect at this. We've just been doing it for maybe a short period of time. So let's go to the top of page 87. What used to be the hunt or the occasional inspiration gradually becomes a working part of the mind. What does that suggest? <laughs> it suggests that we're going to have to work at this. Again, guys, this has to be worked at. Please do not expect yourself to be sitting on top of a mountain in robes like the Jedi wear, cross-legged on top of Mount Kilimanjaro, Kilimanjaro, chanting Tibetan hymns or something after doing this once or twice. What happens over time is that these things that we're talking about will become a working part of the mind. But 
this is all counterintuitive. This is not what we were taught as children. As children, we were taught, you better work hard, uh, you better do this, and you got willpower, and you could do anything you want, and you, 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 you. Who's number one? Go to the bookstore. I've said this before. Go to the bookstore, go to the library, go online. There's self-help books up the wazoo. How many books tell you, no, you can't do this on your own? Only one that I know of, and that's the blue book I have in my hand. And the title of it is Alcoholics Anonymous. That's the only book I've ever read where it shows you that you cannot do this yourself. I have to rely on a power greater than myself. The main object of this book, page 45, the main object of this book is to help you find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. Let's continue. Being still in experience and having just made conscious contact with God, it is not probable that we are going to be inspired at all times. We might pay for this presumption in all sorts of absurd actions and ideas. Nevertheless, we find that our thinking will, as time passes, as time passes, not the first time, not the ninth time or the 33rd time that you do this. As time passes, what will happen? Our thinking will be more and more on the plane of inspiration. We come to rely upon it. Now, the next paragraph is reflected twice in the book. If we go to page 13, if you have your book in front of you, go to page 13. I'll give you a second to get to page 13, one, three. On page 13 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it says, I was to test my thinking. It's three quarters of the way down the page. I was to test my thinking by the new God consciousness within. Common sense would thus become uncommon sense. I was to sit quietly when in doubt, asking only for direction and strength to meet my problems as he would have me. He is capitalized, that's God. Never was I to pray for myself, except as my request bore on my usefulness to others. Then only might I expect to receive, but that would be in great measure. Pure Oxford group. Let's go to page 87. Page 87, Oxford Group, these first century Christian teachings, the Judeo-Christian ethic, whatever it is you want to talk about. Notice that in this paragraph, it does not say pray for what you want, let me win the lottery and I'll help the synagogue and I'll help this one and I'll, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say make a deal with God. When I was a kid, there was a game show called Let's Make a Deal with Monty Hall. And it was Let's Make a Deal. And he'd say, I'll trade you this and you can get a new car. And sometimes you get the new car and sometimes they'd undo the curtain and there'd be a goat there, or a chicken or something like that, a live chicken. You meant one nothing. Okay. How I get off on these tangents, I don't know how any but more than you do. That's just how my brain works. I wish it was different. I wish I was more normal and more linear. I just got to go with it. Probably not going to change. Sorry about that. Okay. I'm age 87, but it entertains me. All right. We usually conclude the period of meditation with a prayer. 
that we be shown all through the day, not just in the morning, not just at night, but all through the day, what our next step is to be. What is that suggestive of? That means I'm working steps all the time. There's never a time when you don't work steps. Remember my, my story I love, my friend Naomi B, she would love it if I, she knew I was mentioning this. Naomi said to me in New Jersey, Mount Laurel, New Jersey, can I call you when I'm done with the steps? And I said, no. And she looked at me like I was the purple people eater with three heads. And she looked at me and said, why not? And I said, because when you're done with the steps, you're gonna be dead and there's no phone in the box. We are working steps all the time. When do you stop working the steps? Never, not during this life, that we be given whatever we need to take care of such problems. Notice it doesn't say, give me the intuitive knowledge how I can solve my problems. It says that we be given whatever we need to take care of such problems. Where does that need get filled? From God. You see, I love most of you. I love all of you. Some more than others. Some less. But I'm not going to come to you and say, solve my problem. Not, not if I have a brain cell working. I love you. Maybe you love me, I don't know. But when I have a problem, I'm gonna take it right to the big guy. Now, a lot of times his words, his will, his desire come through your mouth. That happens too. I had an early morning discussion yesterday with a very dear friend. And this friend, I called to see how she was doing and she helped me a lot more than I helped her. She put some things in perspective that she was dealing with in the letting go of something that I needed to hear. And she helped me have a very wonderful day. She didn't know it. I haven't had a chance to tell her, but she helped me a lot more than I helped her. Okay, we ask especially for freedom from self-will. That's a departure. I want my self-will in the disease so I can power through everything. No, I want freedom from self-will and are careful to make no requests for ourselves only. We may ask for ourselves, however, if others will be helped, help my family, help my business to grow so my employees can have a place to come, but not selfishly. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? And don't think that God doesn't see through your BS. Don't, don't think God doesn't see through your BS. He does. He's smarter than you think. Hey, if he was simple enough to understand, he wouldn't be big enough to solve my problems. I had to stop telling my God how big my problems were. And I have to start telling my problems how big my God is. And that's a transition that takes time and effort. We are careful never to pray for our own selfish ends. Never means never. Never means never pray for our own selfish ends. Pure Oxford group. Don't sit there praying for your own selfish ends. Many of us have wasted a lot of time doing that and it doesn't work, you can easily see why. And this paragraph that we just read is the guts of step 11.
It's the guts of step 11. And I meditate on this paragraph every day. If you do or you don't, that's your business. Please don't ask me, is it right or is it wrong? It, it's what you decide, not what I decide. If circumstances warrant, we ask our wiser friends to join us in morning meditation. Not necessary. If you have the type of relationship with a friend or with a spouse or with a significant other or a child or a parent or something, then by all means do that. That's fine or not, or not. If we belong to a religious denomination, which requires a definite morning devotion, we attend to that also. There are certain prayers that I say in the morning that are prayers from my childhood and my religion. And there are certain things that I do every day. And you can see that these pages are well-worn. They get utilized all the time. And I, these are very worn out pages. And there are things that I will do from this book that are personal unto me. That there are things in here that I hold very dear. Do you have to pray from this book? No, no, it's not required at all. No, but these are things that are important to me because they are part of my morning devotion. They're part of what makes my life tick. If not members of religious bodies, this is Jimmy Burwell's influence here. We'll talk about that in a minute. We sometimes select and memorize a few set prayers, which emphasize the principles we have been discussing. What are the principles? The principles are the steps. The principles are not separate from the steps. The principles are not part of the step. The principles are the steps. There are many helpful books also. Suggestions about these may be obtained from one's priest, minister, or rabbi. Be quick to see where religious people are right. That was very hard for me to do. I didn't like the fact that religious people were right. I resented them. I thought they were sanctimonious jerks. And it was pointed out to me by a very large man in Chicago with his finger in my chest saying, you're judging them. Who's the sanctimonious jerk? You're casting aspersions on them. You're judging them prior to the fact. Who's the sanctimonious jerk? And I didn't like that he said that to me. So I resented him too. No, I didn't for long. I'm just kidding. I did a 10 step on my way home. No big deal. Okay. Make use of what they offer. I'm going to have to make use of what religious people have to offer. If I'm smart, I will. If I want to recover, I will or not. Now, remember I said we're going to talk a little bit about Jimmy Burwell. We're pushing time, Maria. We may run over. We may run over today. We may run over a little bit today. A little bit. Okay, somebody's unmuted though. Okay, now, Jimmy Burwell was an atheist. And there are atheists among us, and they read this paragraph and they say, I'm not religious. I don't believe in a religious deity. That's okay. That's okay. There's no wrong answer here. And there are agnostics. What's an agnostic? Ag means without, gnostic means knowledge. They believe that there may or may not be a God. They just don't have enough information. And then there are true believers. But among the believers and among the agnostics and among the atheists, there are people who harbor pockets of agnosticism. What is a pocket of agnosticism? I was absolutely certain since it's Passover time, I was absolutely certain that God split the Red Sea 
into, it's really the Sea of Reeds, but let's just say the Red Sea. He split it into 12 sections, one each for all the tribes of Israel. There's 12 tribes of Israel, three are left, nine are missing, nine are gone. He split it and the burning bush, I believe in that. I saw the Cubs win the World Series in 2016. I knew that by the Cubs winning the World Series that there was definite evidence of a God. But would that God help me with my sex life? Would that God help me in my fear of performance? Would that God help me in my jealousies? Would that God help me with my food when I was suffering the pains of abstinence and early abstinence? And when I walked to him, he ran to me. Now, there are areas of my life I wish were different. Oh, do I wish they were different. I have a daughter. She's 26 years old. I haven't spoke. She hasn't spoken to me in 10 years. I wish I could hold my daughter. I wish I could talk to my daughter. There's nothing I can do. I wish I had a wife. I wish I didn't have to go to sleep alone every day. I wish I didn't have to get up every day alone. I wish I had a million dollars. I wish I didn't have to work anymore. But this is life. This is life on life's terms. But through it all, God is there. <laughs> now, let's continue. And as I said, we're probably going to run over a little bit today because I don't want to stop here because it's, it, I just want to do, I want to really get into step 12 next week. Bottom of 87. As we go through the day, we pause when agitated. What's in the pause? I know it stands for P-A-U-S-E. People are always using God. Or What it means is step 10. Step 10. So when people are giving the acronyms on the morning meeting and they're giving all these acronyms for the pause, what does Bill mean by that? We, what do we do when we're agitated? Step 10. That's what it means. He just didn't want to keep saying the same thing again. You know, you know, you know, you know. Or when agitated or doubtful and ask for the right thought or action. When I'm doubtful, I can pray for direction. What does it say? In thinking about our day, we may face indecision. I can pray for direction. But when I'm agitated, I need to do step 10. And ask for the right thought or action, step 11. We constantly, there's that word again, I'm gonna point it out all the time, constantly, because where you see people falling back into Butterfinger bars, it's because they stop doing this. Don't stop. Recovery is not a destination, it's a journey. It's not a destination. It's a journey and it's counterintuitive to what you've been told. You were told if you're anything like me, lose weight and everything will be fine. I lost weight, everything wasn't fine. So I figured, screw this, I might as well eat. I didn't really figure it, but that's what happened. Ask for the right thought or reaction. We constantly remind ourselves we are no longer top of 88 running the show. Humbly saying to ourselves many times each day, thy will be done. What's that 10-step prayer? How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. You don't even want to say that many words. Just learn the 11-step prayer here. Thy will be done. We are then in much less danger of excitement, fear, anger, worry, self-pity, or foolish decisions. We become much more efficient. We do not tire so easily. 
but we are not burning up energy foolishly as we did. We are trying to arrange life to suit ourselves. The disease is the most exhausted way of life known to man. The disease wears me out. Yes, I'm tired at the end of the day. And some of you make fun of me, particularly some people at my nighttime meetings, they make fun of me because my eyes are closing and I'm getting sleepy and that. But you got to remember, my day starts about 3.15 in the morning. Vision comes on for me at four o'clock in the morning, boys and girls, and I'm tired. But the, to live in fear, to live in, in, in all this anger, it's exhausting. Now, the next sentence is the most important sentence, the most important paragraph ever written in the English language. No more important sentences in any book I've ever read. Considering the program of Alcoholics Anonymous up to this point, what is the author, Bill Wilson, the guy behind me, what is he saying? It works. It really does. My life isn't perfect. There are things about it that I wish were different. I have the love of people and I love them right back. And I have a Rolodex in my phone there of people who I can call. And I have 50, 60 people a night on our Zoom weekday meetings. And there's a, there was 150 some people here on the line today. I love life. I love a life that includes people. And I love a life that includes God. I love a guilt-free life. I don't have to worry that you saw me yesterday coming out of McDonald's. I don't have to worry that you saw me coming out of the donut shop. I don't have to worry about where I've been or what I've done or what I've said. I haven't written a bad check to anybody in close to 40 years. I am a free man. I'm a free man and I'm free from the guilt and the shame and the remorse that have imprisoned me for years. I am free to live a life that is God-based rather than people-based and Harlan-based. A very, very wise man said to me on a very freezing cold day in Chicago, Illinois, with his finger in my chest, and he said to me, if everywhere you went today, everything you did today, everything that went in and out of your mouth was on the front page of the Chicago Tribune, are you okay with that? And for today, for yesterday, for the foreseeable past, I don't know what tomorrow, I have no idea. I am perfectly okay with it. I didn't lie to any of you. I didn't write any of you a bad check. And to my knowledge, I haven't offended or hurt you. That's freedom. But the shackles of this disease are too soft to be felt until they are too hard to break. And so you must be on guard against their hardening through the working of these steps. We alcoholics are undisciplined, so we let God discipline us in the simple way that we have just outlined. But this is not all. There is action and more action. Again, this is repeated. Faith without works is dead, book of James. The next chapter is entirely devoted to step 12. Now, we ran over a little bit, but I didn't want to stop. 
I absolutely didn't want to stop. So I'm sorry about the questions and the answers. I'm just going to write down where we are here. Page 89 for next week's start chapter. Okay. Now.